Welcome to the Unbreakable Podcast with Jake and Nikki Hamilton, where we discuss the complexities of marriage and manhood through real, raw, personal stories. Welcome back to Unbreakable with Jake and Nikki Hamilton. This is our second episode, rounding out what you heard about us in the first episode. Part one gave you an introduction to the explosion, what happened at Jesus Culture Chicago, what happened a little bit when we got home, but we're gonna dive way more into what happened and what tools we leaned into once we got back from that experience. So let's jump right in. Hello and welcome to the Unbreakable Podcast with Jake and Nikki. We are jumping into part two of our story introduction to us and how we kind of ended up getting into a place where we wanted to talk about marriage, talk about masculinity, talk about femininity, connection, relationships, all of the stuff we're going to be discussing on this podcast. How did we end up here? So this is part two. If you haven't caught part one, go back and catch up. Um, If you have, then we're going to jump back into the story, which is where? Where did we leave off? Well, we left off in Chicago where our marriage imploded and we spent four hours talking to a pastor about all the reasons why I wasn't going to physically divorce you, but I had completely divorced you in my heart. Do you remember that? I do remember this. It was pretty (laughs) explicit as it was happening. But I remember we came home, so coming home from that experience, first of all, the most awkward drive ever with our band at that time, throwing them in the car in the middle of our marriage stuff. They were there having a conversation. We were like trying not to have that conversation. You were done. You were totally happy to be there. You were engaging and doing a great job of connecting with our band when then, I'm just like this. Yeah, I think that, I think one, there's this, um, there's this moment that happens, this release after you have a release that feels like, you know, where I sort of told you all the things I had been holding in for yeah. years, right? And it all came flooding out. And after that, there was this part of me that felt so like, okay, this is great. Like it's on the table now. And maybe what it was is I had sort of, I took myself, my responsibility off the table and I put it all on you. So I felt a great amount of release and- Resolve. Resolve. Yeah. And false peace. I would say. And I I've heard this from other people. And I and it's this feeling of peace, but I have to say it's it has to be a false peace. Because it's not coming from a place of wasn't coming from Well, it's a peace that's di- it's divorced completely from actual connection and actual suffering. So if I can get rid of my pain and project it to, on someone else, for whatever reasons we're doing it, it is a lot easier to absolve myself of any guilt, any responsibility, any part I played in it or role that I have in it. And I think we see people do that all the time. Absolutely, and that's the, I, we call it peace. I wish I could come up right now with a better name for it. It wasn't peace, but it felt yeah. a lot like it because that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, it's just shadow. I feel like in so many ways we meet so many people who are in shadow peace, you know, they've, which essentially, it, shadow peace is probably just, um, more than anything, it's delusion, you know? It's this sense of delusion where I have 
come to a resolve that includes nobody else but my needs, my wants. I mean, you weren't being that extreme well, selfish, that, no, but there I is think like... that's accurate. You can you go know, with that. You know, but I think we experience it a ton with people who are in marriages that they feel like it's failing and it's not working and it didn't go the way they planned. So they end up creating a fantasy land, you know, mm-hmm. the opposite of divine imagination. They end up par- participating in fantasy which is, oh, this is all your fault, all your responsibility. You deserve all the guilt, all the shame. So I'm going to shove all this on you. And I mean, the extreme version of that is, and now I am divorcing you. I am leaving. I am going somewhere else. And I had no part in this. It's all your fault. I'm moving on. And that feels, it, that delusion, that fantasy is stunning if you can accept Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I felt like, oh, okay, well, this is, I was carrying something for how long had we been married at that point? We were almost eight years because we were seven years. It was a month before our anniversary. So I feel like for eight years, I was dragging this weight behind me, carrying it, you know, this heavy load for eight years. And then in one moment, I was able to take that and dump it in your lap. There was such a sigh of relief. Yeah, would you say it's easier for, because I don't live like this. You have mentioned this a ton of times. You live in like, everything's in a box. It's in these nice, neat boxes. Not as much anymore, but even especially in that season. And I'm wondering if it's easier for people who are alinear and can put things in boxes very easily, emotionally, physically, all the stuff of like, <clears throat> I can compartmentalize really easily. Mm-hmm. It's easier to accept that because it's like, oh, I didn't, it's not actually a big feat. I didn't give you a, I didn't, it's not interconnected. So I just handed you a box. It was a really heavy box, a mm-hmm. really sucky box, but all I did was hand you a box. It wasn't connected to the rest of my life and my experience. It was a really sucky box and it's easier to do or easier to accept the fantasy when nothing's interconnected in that way. Cause some people do that. It's like, that's my marriage box. That's my pain box. That's this box. That's this. And no, I'm, I'm very you know compartmentalized. I mean? We always joke that I'm no. the man in the relationship because I can right. very easily just put something in a box and walk away from it emotionally. I'm, right. I'm not emotionally driven most of the But would you time. say it was easier to, is it easier in your opinion for people who operate in that way to to jump to those conclusions or fantasies. What, what conclusions fast. are you saying? The idea of um, I am in a place where I've accepted this is all your fault. Your shame. Your, I've felt a resolve. I live in a place where it's all of your stuff. Your because everything that was hard, I put in this box, and now I just handed you the box. So all the pain box, my pain box that I had dumped, whatever. I think it can go both ways. I think whenever we decide to abdicate our responsibility, a peace comes upon that. And I had decided to abdicate. Am I? I'm not abdicate. Sure, abdicate <laughs> uh, that uh, that responsibility of our marriage into your hands. What was so hard, which we talked about it even in the last podcast, was so hard is that is that when you're done, you're just done. So for me, there was no like. Hey, let's talk about this. Hey, I don't know what's going on. You were completely disconnected. I had this huge box and what was good for me, the healthy part about getting home and you being like, and now I'm living my life without carrying this weight (laughs) is like, I'm downstairs, not eating, not like sleeping. I'm just like, what is going on? And I guess what the best way of keeping the box analogy is I just started rummaging through this box of stuff that I was handed and 
I felt like God, you know, you have those moments where you're like, I feel like I'm divinely led somewhere. Yeah. And I feel like I was divinely led to go to 1 Corinthians. Because really, I was like, well, this is the, the verse or the passage on love. Love is patient. Love is kind. That's not envy. And really, for the next seven days when we get home, you're like feeling like a weight got lifted off of you dancing around the house. And I'm like going, is this what depression feels like? And I'm not sure. And I'm like uh, pulling this stuff out of this box and recognizing, oh, I do have a lot of fault here. So I go, I'm going... Love is patient. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I found six stories immediately of Nikki's pain that are completely connected to Jake not being patient. Oh, and if I'm not patient, I can't be kind. So here's like six other stories, seven other stories, eight other stories. And going through the list of first, the 16 attributes of love in 1 Corinthians and seeing in each one of those attributes the exact ways that I had hurt you by kind of rummaging through this box of stories and me going back through our marriage and thinking about the way that I didn't know how to connect and tried to connect and realize, oh, that's why that hurt you and recognizing how much real dysfunction there was in terms of our own connection, mm -hmm. just using 1 Corinthians 13 as a framework and going, oh my God, I have a collection of stories of I know I could feel for the first time not not just the pain of disconnection or dissatisfaction or disappointment, but really the actual stories that brought us to that place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're not going to spend an entire podcast or three podcasts going into those thousand stories. But it's like I was able to go like, oh, I, I remember this time I hurt Nikki in this way. Oh, my gosh, I am not, you know. I'm not, my, my love is self-seeking. That was really, really extremely selfish. And going like, I don't, now I have all these stories of exact moments, but I don't know what to do with them, right. you know? Because you weren't open to share. So it was like, uh, I think I can see it now, but I don't know what to do with it. And we didn't have any tools at that time. So I'm just doing this on my own. Right. So what that looked like was us coming home from Chicago, on my side anyways. Yeah. You, you kind of, plop down at the kitchen table I think with your Bible and books and it was the first time I had ever seen you defeated like that yeah. and in a lot of ways I felt like I was looking at you from overhead like what is that like from the third person because yeah. I loved you but at the exact same time I also had zero emotions about it I had I felt like there was just a switch inside of me that had been turned off and all that was left was sort of this feeling of like I'm good I'm okay mm -hmm. I have no feelings about anything anymore I'm actually I'm not mad at you I'm not yeah. frustrated I'm just fine but there was when I would see you sitting over there depressed and defeated in a way I'd not seen before I thought oh that's sad and I did that and I don't like that I did that but I also don't have enough energy to even try to fix it yeah. and I can say it was the first time that I would like do laundry and you know I'm I'm, we have a very traditional marriage, so yeah. I do everything in the house and you kind of do everything outside. It's just very traditional. Yeah. So I do all the laundry and I would do, I was like, I'm not doing his laundry anymore. 
I don't, I don't care. You know, and you came in, you came in and you're like putting your clothes, like hanging your clothes up. And I kind of looked at that and I thought, that's so ridiculous. Like, this is so petty and ridiculous, but I don't care. <laughs> I just didn't care anymore about anything. No. And I, I'd hated that I didn't care. Just, there was a little seed of, I hate no. that I don't care, but I didn't care. No. Fast forward a week or two of this now coexisting and you dying and me just like, oh, actually, yes, I think I will go to lunch with my friend, which has been something before, you know, I would have felt bad leaving you with the kids or whatever, yeah. you know? And um, I'm like, yeah, I'll go. So I, I remember one night I went out to dinner with a friend and I'd been talking to her and I told her that. I'm like, yeah, the switch is totally turned on. It yeah. will take a miracle for it to come back on. Like, I, I don't. I'm actually kind of cool to live like this for the rest of my life because it was non-emotional connection is really easy. Roommate is a pretty easy situation, yeah. right? Yeah. Real love is what costs yeah. to actually engage with those things that are hurting you in a way that you stay present to, yeah. there's an immense cost to that. One that yeah. I understand why most people don't wanna pay. Cause at that moment I didn't wanna pay it. So I come home from that dinner and I was like, oh, okay, we just, we can't, I can't have this like Eeyore. I also have this core part of myself who just really wants everything to be kind of happy. Be good. Right. And I'm like, and you're just ruining my narrative <laughs> right now. You're ruining my picture perfect world sitting on the, on sitting at the kitchen table, all yeah. depressed, you know, like it's been a week, it's been two weeks. We need to get over this. You need yeah. to just start, get with the program, start living your life. Like this is ridiculous. So I walk in the door, I'm like, Jake, we need to talk about the elephant in the room. I think yeah. is exactly what I said. I was like, you know, we need to talk. And you came over. Mm -hmm. And you started to cry and you apologized, which really I was the one who should have apologized in the moment because I wasn't showing up to our marriage. I showed up for one minute to like annihilate everything and then I left. And the fact that you came and you apologized to me and in your apology you said, these are the reasons I've realized I've hurt you. And you named things that, that I didn't even know were hurting in me. And that broke everything. And I think we spent the next, I don't know how many nights because no. we had kids and that's the only time you have as a parent is once your young kids go to sleep. Yep. So we sacrificed sleep for a while. Yep. Maybe not a good idea, but that's what happened in that time. It's how it played out. And we started down the rabbit hole of who we each are and what our stories are yeah. to uncover why we were causing each other so much pain. Yeah, because so much of it, we, we entered into our marriage young. We, I mean, I think I mean, we're seeing people do this all the time is that they're entering into a marriage and willing to overlook giant gaps in the other person's stories for the sake of quote unquote love. Um, and it ends up biting them in the butt years later when they realize 
I'm bumping into you in ways that are hurting you and I don't actually want to hurt you, but now the hurt has become disappointment and now it's becoming weaponized. And so then you end up like, then it just becomes like, and we weren't like massive fighters or anything like that. It was just disconnection, 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 disconnection to the point where I think for some people they get into this thing and the disconnection goes on for, you know, however many years. And then by that time they don't want to do the work again. You know, they're not interested in really showing back up because how am I going to, go back 10 years, you know? And right. I think that's where we were. We were like, well, the, for those nights, we were going back 10 years and beyond to go, I know this hurt you, but I am i don't understand why. And in a lot of ways until, you know, myself, who I can speak to, in a lot of ways until I started to unfold my own story, I didn't, I wouldn't have known why it was hurtful. So I think we were surprising ourselves in the process of telling story. And and you're right. I find so many people who, you know, getting married, they, of course, you're not going to know everything about each other. And we got married young. And even if I did know everything about you, I wouldn't have had the maturity to process why that was painful. It's like, oh, you know, you had this happen to you as a kid. I just wouldn't have had the maturity for it. But revisiting that in a place where we did have some history together. We've yep. been together for eight years by then, which mm-hmm. is a pinnacle place. By eight years, we had done some damage to each other. Right. I mean, I think Mike Bickle said it great. Like when I asked him about marriage years ago, a guy that Mike who runs the House of Prayer in Kansas City, and he basically was just like, listen, we spend this first seven, we've been basically seven to 10 years. It's different for everyone. There's some flex in these, you know, seven to 10 years. We spend the first seven to 10 years trying to figure out or believing that we could change the other person. So they're going to come to our way of doing things Mm -hmm. because our way of doing things is definitely better. And then we realize about that seven to 10 year mark that, oh my God, they're never going to change. Like some of these things about them are like, that's the way they are. And then you spend the next, what he said, like three to five years deciding whether or not you're going to stay and the rest of your life either being miserable or finding joy in it, you know, like finding joy in the process of learning each other and learning how to connect in those ways. And I think we see a ton of people who they end up in that seven to 10 year mark and they don't have the tools or have the uh, the time sometimes like really i mean we were give the gift we were given was time mm-hmm. the fact that we would stay up late and chose to do it that way and mm-hmm. spent the amount of hours we did just to just to dive into the story of each of our lives that helped us build connections in terms of how we were missing each other in ways that I don't think anything else really could have at the time. I mean, I definitely went to counseling. I went back to counseling Mm -hmm. for like the first time in a long time, Mm -hmm. got some really good counseling, had some really good like advice and some like older people in my life at that time. But, and you were introduced to the book. Oh yeah. The book, how we love by uh, Milan and Kay Yurkovich. And that, that was huge. Well, yeah, the us. best part is, is even in that story, like um, I'm in counseling and my counselor has this book on his desk. I'm like, oh, what's that book? You know, because he's like got a million books. But this is the right. one on his desk. He's like, oh, this book is really good, but I haven't dove into it enough to know if it's like going to be a good tool. So like, but I'm really enjoying what I'm seeing in this book. Like I really enjoy it, you know? 
And I immediately went on Amazon and bought the book because I was like, you know, I was like, oh, well, I'm skipping over those steps. And it was like, oh, yeah, comfort cycle, connection, how to do conversation. That was like the first steps of us figuring out how to do connection. Which, yeah, which was awkward for me because you wanted to then start doing this comfort cycle with me, which is maybe explain that yeah it was bit. active listening so like the comfort cycle i fully encourage everyone go get the book watch some of their videos you can get a lot of stuff online from uh how we love uh milan and kay Yerkovics. we'll put a link down in the bottom of the description but what's wild about it is it's basically um another tool or version of it is a version of active listening so basically and i'm not doing it justice is I'm going to, I am first going to receive you. But there was like, you have to be holding each other. Yeah. So the big part is you're going to lay your head in my lap Mm -hmm. and because, and you're the one that's hurting. So you're the one that's going, the hurt, the one that's been hurt is going to lay their head in their lap, in the lap of the other person and tell them what's hurting. You know, whether it's been hurt by them or they're just hurt in general, they're processing something and they're being vulnerable. They're not just going to share something vulnerable. They're actually going to put themselves in a physically vulnerable place to the other person, which is the most significant part of the tool for me. I I I think, yeah. And I think what it, it does is it's like, am I going to make myself vulnerable when vulnerability isn't safe or traditionally in our relationship hasn't been the safest thing or we didn't even know how to access it. And then basically to let that person from that vulnerable position share their vulnerability, share their hurt, share their pain, share their woundedness. And the person on the other side doesn't try to fix or figure it out. They actually repeat back to them what they just said so that the person is affirmed that they heard what they said. Cause so many times well, we it's do basically active listening 2.0 vulnerability edition, right? Because at the end of the day, like, and some people think it's so stupid to repeat back to someone that they love what they just said to them, but it actually communicates. I I'm not interpreting what you said. I'm not giving my take on it. I'm actually just listening to it. So let me, let me say this. There was a couple things that we did back then, which were, we kind of agreed that we're going to have to do the cheesy things like active listening. Did I, that, I, I have a hard time with anything that doesn't feel super authentic. I feel like I'm lying, A. <laughs> and for some reason, doing something like that feels vulnerable to me. I, I guess the way that I'm feeling vulnerable in that is that you are... For me to do that, I'm actually letting you know how much I care about you that I'd be willing to put myself in a position to look stupid. Right. Absolutely. That was hard for me. I mean, I think yeah. a lot of... there. I have some... My best friend would be like, what? You put your head in his lap? And he... I mean, <laughs> and women... He listen to you? Oh, they would just drool, you know? But for me, that right. cost me a lot right. to do something right. like that. Right. So... And I know there, you know, there's probably a lot of men who can relate to that and, and some women too, that these, thi- these things, these things that seem so simple to yeah. do in love and in a marriage come at such an immense cost to your physical and emotional body. Right. And I see that like when I talk to couples, you know, we've talked to couples and done mm-hmm. a lot of 
you know, marriage stuff with people. And I see spouses who genuinely love their other half. Most of the time I find myself identifying with the guy in the relationship yeah. and you identify with the woman. Yeah. And I look at these men, I'm like, this man is so in love with his wife and she's yeah. begging him for affection or yeah. begging him for attention. And she thinks it's because he doesn't love her. And if, and if she only realized how much that costs her, his physical body to do something that feels so easy for you, right? A yeah. card, so, yeah. you know, or yeah. it's, I, it seems ridiculous to say it's really a huge cost to me to do active listening with you. Yeah. That seems ridiculous to, on paper. But the reality of sitting in front of you and doing something silly is putting me in an extremely vulnerable position and costing me everything. Yeah, and I, I yeah, even our language disconnects there because I would never want to call it silly because it automatically devalues it. So right. I get what you're trying to communicate, no, I, but I for know. me, I'm it's... like, it, it's only silly on your end. And so what happens is, is there is, um, for us, there's this whole piece of going, um, like this, this isn't silly. This is like marriage is vulnerability practice. Like this is the place where I get to practice what my version of vulnerability is. Cause my version of vulnerability is just different than yours. Mm -hmm. One isn't better or deeper or whatever to the other person. We all just have different personalities, different temperaments, different stories. We're bringing different expressions into the, into a space to be able to do that. And so many times it's like we this is my take on it is so often we don't know how to be we don't like being vulnerable because vulnerability is essentially me processing my own insecurities out loud with another human being that i don't even know are true yet yeah like i don't even know if they're true so i'm gonna say something that you made me feel and i don't even know if that's really what i feel or really what i've experienced but I'm gonna put my head in my ear lap and do that. When in both people, I, I think both sides, the piece that they can relate to is what makes it vulnerable is I don't know if what I'm gonna say is true. <laughs> I don't know if yeah, it's gonna- Yeah, for me, on a, what makes it vulnerable is I'm putting myself in a position to A, lose control right. of my emotions and B, allow you an ability to tell me or to show me that Actually, you don't love me. Actually, you actually my body, my emotions, and my mind are really too much. Because I you mean for the person who's receiving you, right? For the person who's supposed to be holding space for you. That's super for me. It's extremely scary to feel like I actually might be too much. Right, but that's that is exactly what I'm saying. It again, it's an insecurity. Absolutely. Right. So like in like we're what we're vulnerability is me making the most insecure of my i think what makes it insecure i guess this is the best language is like yes i might not be taken care of yes i may not be held and i may not be heard mm -hmm. but what's i think even the starting point behind that is i don't even know if i believe what i'm going to say enough to allow you to do that for me like i, I don't know if i, I I don't know if what I'm processing and what if I'm what I'm experiencing 
is not just not not just valid because there's just a part of that like it, I don't I, I believe it's valid but I'm about to put it into your hands but I think more of it is about identity like I don't even know if this is me does that make sense yeah I of course I experience that different than you do right but yes it makes sense and that to me is I, I guess for me I'm like I'm processing it as like on both sides going the connection point for me is it deeply has to do with identity and insecurities mm -hmm. that we're trying to work out with another human. That's what makes it vulnerable. You know, not just the response. I guess that's my point is it's not just the response or the reaction to, but the actual engagement in like what I'm actually going to set out there. Right. So there is a, a place I think for myself and my, if if I could allow myself to take really small baby steps. Not silly steps. Sometimes they feel silly. <laughs> well, I mean, they do. Um, I don't, I, I mean, I, yeah, it feels silly because me being in a position where I've put control of my, uh, what's the right word here? I put control of sort of my, um, gosh, it's, I don't know. I don't even have the right language for it. Cause I haven't talked about that. <laughs> it's specifically that season, right? You know, of feeling like, well, it okay. Was well, it was way easier when we were, so for our anniversary, which was, you know, a few weeks or a week later, we ended up driving to Vegas and this ends up being a huge part of like how we started doing connection is we would spend, it's way easier to sit in a car and just have a conversation than it is, I don't know, I'm, I actually, let me ask it as a question. Did you feel like driving in the car, just sharing our hearts was way easier, even though some of those stories that we shared were really deep and traumatic those stories were easier to share because you weren't sitting in a place of vulnerability in my actual physical lap and me holding you. Yeah. I, I always tell couples like, Hey, if you have some hard conversations, get on a long road and have the conversation in the car. There is something about, okay, we're, we don't have to totally it's just the two of us you're uninterrupted so that's yeah that's that is huge. the bonus that is the bonus um if you got like a good two-hour car ride you're uninterrupted and preferably do this with a place there's not a lot of traffic or stress it's not a yeah, stressful not drive a stre you're not in like downtown la on the 405 or something yeah it allows <laughs> thought to flow through you easier and feels you it's like you'll be surprised maybe sometimes what comes out of that moment because it almost you know the car is this meditative like okay let's sit in we're gonna do driving we're gonna be we've, here for a minute we've had a lot of just you know with your work we do a lot of driving so that has been helpful but I want to say that I think that comes from a place with myself um, a lot, which a lot of this I learned through these years of us just talking. Why do yeah. you feel that way? What, where does that come from? And forcing myself to be put in vulnerable positions with you. Um, yeah. Baby steps at a time. I realized that, oh, I have always felt that it's my job to hold everything together, that it's my yeah. job emotionally. 
And so the best way to hold, you know, I, I have a tendency to st surround myself around highly emotional people yep. and I do the regulation. So I've set myself up with this great job of regulating people around me. Yeah. And I can do that because I am so regulated. Yeah. Right. So then to go and allow myself to go in a place that feels slightly unregulated. Oh, that's scary. Because you're so regulated. Yeah, that's the position. That's that's the space. That's my identity. It's where yeah. I, I feel like, okay, this is who I who am I in a space right now? I'm regulated. I've I've hopefully working through that. Yeah. You know, and I'm not doing that as much, which also yeah. made it really hard for me when we had kids, which I think to go back even to how we got to Chicago, like well, how did it get so messed up? Um, because we loved each other. It's not like we yeah. got into marriage, not in love, you know? Well, yeah. And I think that even to a degree, it's like there to choose, we didn't choose any other outs. We chose together. It just, and we kept choosing together, but we just didn't know how to do together well because there were so many points of disconnection. And where I think we were each finding our own trigger spots in life, in marriage yeah. and with having kids. And we, yeah. we didn't know how to come together. Instead, we kind of, it, it like repelled us from each other. Yeah. Having um, three kids, you know, one every year, uh, every other year, actually, other they're year. two years apart, each one of them. Um, and I began to, which I had been told before I had kids by my aunt, she's like, when, when you have kids, what you will notice that you are going to go back to when you were that age. And so anything you were going through in your own child, yeah. especially with a child of the same sex, yeah, that's going to be a form of trauma for you that you right. will be living through your own children. And so I knew I had the wisdom and I just I still didn't understand how true that was. Yeah. And so having kids and realizing that I, you know, spent a lot of my young years feeling like it was my job to regulate in the family. And now I have these three little kids and this husband and I can't regulate anybody. Yeah. So I'm a real failure, number one. And number two, I don't know what, I actually don't know how to handle environments that I don't feel like I'm doing a good job regulating. So there was a part of me, I think, that felt very yeah. out of control. Yeah. Well, and in most environments, if you can't regulate it, you just don't come back. And you can't. But I was fiercely a mother. And right. A that's the, a that's wife. the point. It's like, that's the whole point. It's like there, which you said earlier in the conversation, which is like, you have to keep showing up like you, there is a degree to which this is like, you're, you're in. So if you're in, then I don't get to like check out and move on somewhere else. It's like, I actually have to be present to the pain that I'm actually experiencing. And this pain is coming from somewhere, somewhere in my life and my story this pain is showing up that I can't regulate this space. Now I can mm -hmm. avoid it. I can check out. I can become addicted. I can become distracted. But really showing up to the pain is the hardest part. And I can look back and say, oh, these are the things I did right. And these are the things I did wrong. And what I did right was I, over my dead body, yeah. was not going to show up for my kids and be there for them. Yeah. And for you in a lot of ways, I mean, I was like, I, I'm, I'm feeling the pain. I'm not, you know, I'm 
feeling like this guy is a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. You have all the questions of like, oh my God, what did I do? What did I get myself into? But I, I continued to show up as much as I could. Right. And I'm proud of that. I think that I could have taken a lot of outs and I didn't. And I'm proud of myself for that. Yeah. I have regrets that... I mean, really, my deepest regrets were is you were doing your best to love me. And I was doing my best to love you. And I was still holding, you know, you probably at arm's length going like, ah, oh, but, but don't hurt me. Yeah. And what I didn't realize is in that process is the one I was hurting the most is myself because I spent eight years going you know, stay a certain distance away when really what I found out was you allowing you to fully love me and mm. allowing you allowing myself to lay in your lap and say, tell me what you're feeling right now, as hard as that was, was so healing to me. Yeah. And it allowed me to receive love in, a, in places that I needed love. And... I wish I would have had that information sooner. I wish I wish I would have had the ability to do it sooner. And I don't know if I could. You can't change back time. But yeah, but I think that there's again, like we've said a million times, like how many tools, like do you have, that just don't have value until you've, you know, had enough failure. You know, mm -hmm. until you've had enough failure, you don't, you know, still stuff like I I don't know. It's stupid and it is more of a man analogy. But I'm like. You don't realize the tools you need until something breaks. Yeah. So, you know, sprinkler breaks and you don't have PVC cutters or PVC glue or any of these things and you go out and try to like fix it, you're going to have to go get new tools. But I didn't need those tools until the pipe broke, mm -hmm. you know? So there is a degree to which like, I, I mean, I wish I could have gone back and saw how disconnected we were and had better tools to be able to engage in conversation to make you feel safe at a earlier time in our marriage. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, there's parts that we're still trying to work through and figure mm -hmm. out and there's still disconnection and, you know, triggers and all this stuff still happens. You don't ever get over it. And I wish we, I would have had the tools earlier, but until, I think that's why this whole thing is just a continual journey. You know, things break and then you need a tool for it. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, I haven't been here before. Mm -hmm. Like this part of my house hasn't fallen apart yet. So I actually didn't need, know I needed that tool. You know, and even to take the analogy further, there's like, you know, now you realize there's tools you didn't even know existed, you know, like, oh, they have a tool for that. You know what I mean? And you kind of go, oh, I wish I would have been aware. But at the end of the day, I think the main thing that happened when we came back was we chose each other. We didn't choose to move apart because when you came back and you said like, and we had this conversation and I told you all the things at the places I hurt you and you began to cry. You would, your first words out of your mouth was, I just don't want to be hurt anymore. Mm -hmm. And what was crazy is it was probably the first time in our, ever in our conversation, I realized you weren't just talking to me. Like that was the first time where I was like, oh, she's not just, it, this isn't actually just Jake. Mm -hmm. Like you could feel it on you. And I was like, oh, this is not just about me. I had spent eight years looking at you and feeling hurt by you and not realizing that over your face, I had placed 
every man's yeah. face who had rejected me and left yeah. me, abandoned me, hurt me, yeah. all of that pain, you now embodied as a man. Right. And I, it was so subconscious, I had no idea right. I was doing that. Right. And, and that, sorry, go ahead. That was a huge revelation yeah. for me. Yeah. And you get a revelation like that and it's like, Oh, okay. That's not that's not going to be fixed in a moment. <laughs> yeah, there's not two conversations later. We're doing better. Yeah. No, that had to be unraveled, and then the worst, the worst news ever. That has to be unraveled, and now you have to mourn each one of those faces as you take them down, yeah. and allow yourself. Oh, that's vulnerable. You know, like allow yourself to go. Oh, I'm capable of being hurt. Now I have to deal with my own vulnerability. I am actually, my heart is vulnerable. My flesh is vulnerable. My feelings and my emotions are vulnerable. Mm. I don't have control over them. They can be hurt with or without my consent. And there's a lot of mourning that comes from that. Yeah. And mourning is hard and it's not fun and nobody wants to do it, but it's it's an essential peace to the journey of wholeness to the journey and i I would say like you know wholeness that's such a cliche thing to say in these day day and times and what is that even yeah and when i talk about wholeness and that i think of the wholeness of allowing yourself to truly be loved and to love in return with purity and vulnerability so that that was rough for me. Yeah. And then and then a little shameful because I felt like wow, I blamed you and I was actually holding you accountable for things you never did. And right. I don't want to feel like I'm failing, especially yeah. at marriage. Yeah. And so I have to own that and then that means oh my god, I hurt you. And you didn't deserve that. And it's my, my fault. Yeah. So now shame comes on. Because I'm thinking, oh. Well, yeah, and shame is what shows up when there isn't grief. So, like, shame is, if I don't, so if I'm grieving, it's dead. I'm, that's why I'm grieving, right? Because something died. A version of myself, a thing that I, you know, all, all the, the things that, that we're dealing with and wrestling with, like you said, taking a mask off, feeling I have to die, that that actually is a death, that I have to, that is an actual experience I had that was painful. Mm -hmm. And I have to grieve it, and that grief shows that it's dead. If shame shows, it's still alive. If I'm showing shame, it's my way of keeping something alive that I personally identify with that I don't wanna get rid of yet. Mm -hmm. And we're like, we hate shame. Really, most people actually don't, they actually love shame because it it allows them to identify with this pain in a way that continues a narrative that keeps them feeling safe because at least they know what it is. It hurts, but at least I know what it is. Shame is familiar and mourning is the unknown. Right, because I'm going into the abyss. Mm-hmm. And like every every journey of connection begins with grief. Like it's there's not from scripture forward, right? Like we have to have we have to grieve what was so that I can move fully into what is. And that is a grief. Well, and I remember, I mean, I've said this over quite a few things in my life, but 
um, we go towards what's familiar, which is why we marry a spouse who's probably a reminiscent of your mother or your father, or you right. know, or who who has dysfunctions that are similar to those that are in your right. home because it's familiar, and familiar is actually even if it's you know looks more painful, right. it's easier because I know how to deal with that. Right. I don't know how to deal with what's in the dark abyss of the forest. I don't right. understand that. Right. So. For me, with the thought of mourning, and the mourning I had to, I had to mourn a lot. But the mourning, let's say over, over this specifically. Yeah. If I begin to mourn that, and I start crying about it, first of all, right. I don't cry. Gosh, I right. hate the feeling of crying, especially back then. I'm getting better. Um, I don't know that I'll ever stop. That literally, that phrase alone. I have heard so much. Like, I hear that constantly. That is the unknown of mourning. Right. What it, happens? Will it end? It will. It... Will it end? Will my mourning, if I start it, if I start grief and I know the trail of tears that are behind me, if I start, will it end? And that is so. There's no promise. Scary. Terrifying. I don't, I don't know what. Nikki is in mourning. I do now. Right. I didn't then. Right. And so I would rather live in this world where I'm just, you know, swimming through junk than have to go to a place of mourning right. where I don't know what's on the other side right. of that. And, and I think, I mean, I think Jordan Peterson, Roar, all these guys, they all say the same thing, which is like, just choose your suffering. Your, your life is suffering. It's like, it's proof that you are still here. Mm -hmm. You know, like as long as you're suffering, you're still alive. It's proof and validation that you still exist. It's the price of existence. Mm -hmm. Suffering is the price of existence. The, the thing, the privilege we have as living human, uh, uh, able-bodied, cognitive human beings who are spiritual, physical, emotional, um, we have the ability to choose what suffering we want. And what we're choosing, what we end up doing is we end up saying most of the time, I'd rather have the suffering I know than the suffering I don't. Absolutely. And that's what you're saying. It's like, I'd rather walk through the quicksand and the mud of the, but I, because I know how to get better. I know how to get new boots. So when my boots are tore up, I actually know how to get new boots. So it's not a big deal. But if I get out of the mud, I don't even know what clothes to put on. Like, I don't know what to wear. I don't know what to do. And so it's a brand new suffering, but you have to kick out all the props, let it die. Well, and that's why they, that's why they say, it's like, you got to hit rock bottom. You have to get to the place where you're like, okay, this, this world that I'm, this world I've created for myself right. in the quote unquote known world of, of my heart yeah. is gotten so bad that I am willing to engage with the unknown yeah. just to get out of it. Right. And I, I, I do, and what's hard is I do believe that there is the ability for the, like, that's why, okay. So to me, I guess when I think about initiation culture with young men, when I think about mm -hmm. tribal culture that used to do this, what, what initiation is, is I'm giving you your rock bottom at 13 instead of 30. Mm -hmm. So I'm taking you to a place you can't, it will take everything in you to survive this psychologically, physically, emotionally. You better have it all in check at 13. Mm -hmm. 
And what we do is initiation culture, rites of passage cultures, we're shoving them into it at 13 so they could recognize it at 30. Right. And because we weren't given those tools, because we don't live in a culture that gives us that to- those tools, we're 30 years old, 40 years old going, what is this feeling? Mm-hmm. What is this feeling? Where at 13, they would have been like, you're going into the wilderness alone. And you have all these tools. We prepared you. Now go survive. Mm-hmm. We're going like, am I allowed to suffer? And then so many messages in the church that God, his greatest, highest pleasure is to alleviate all of your suffering with the, the load of crap theology that comes with that is insanely damaging to people who are trying to do real health, to trying to do real marriage. Because if it's suffering, it must not be God. Yeah, we haven't even gotten into the fact that we were doing all this with you being in ministry. Right. And, and the I... God element, and that's a whole other a whole other subject that maybe we right. we should embark on at right. another time. Well, but there's up, a lot in what you just said that we personally were wrestling with. Well, and I just think it's helpful for people to know, like, like, listen, you're not damaged goods. Your suffering isn't anti-Christ in nature. It's not anti-God. It's not anti-mere marriage. It's not anti-being a parent. Your suffering is actually appropriate. It is the price and the cost of existence. You're not going to escape it. You're just going to get another form of it eventually. So you can either deal with it now or deal with it tomorrow, but you will eventually have to deal with it. And the process of doing that is grief. And the way that we got to grief, which we can leave everyone with, with this episode for us, is coming home from Chicago, the entirety of the story is we actually learned how to have conversations that got to the places of our deepest suffering. And we did it with the person who's supposed to love us for the rest of our lives. And then they prove it and show up for it. And that's what builds a marriage. Absolutely. And we have to learn how to ask good questions. And for those of you that don't know what those questions may be, you can ask, you don't have to go super traumatic at first. You can literally... Begin to ask your spouse, like, what did you dream about when you were five? What did you want to be when you were a little kid? What was your favorite cereal? Like, and it's those little conversations, like, begin to build, like, this trust for the really deep stuff. And that's that's exactly right. And I think for those of you who are the less vulnerable emotional types. Yeah. um, Giving yourself. Giving yourself permission to take baby steps in your vulnerability right and then if you know that you are married to that person because you did this really well for me is is asking me simple easy questions and coaxing me along never judging my response Right. right and there's a lot of sensitivity that i think it took on your part to be able to coax me into a safe place to experience my unknown mourning and emotions. Well, yeah. And would you, I mean, I would say like so many women end up chasing away their husbands from deep acts of vulnerability because they want to jump, they want to throw these men into the ocean where I'm the emotional one in ours. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm going to take you and throw you into the deep end of all my emotion and be like, Mm -hmm. and now you've got to care for it and figure it out. And, all the pressure and all the weight is on the less emotional one to the, and that's not even the right phrase. The, the, it's the person who's actually probably a more stable force in the house. (laughs) But it, but the reality is, is that I think the the simpler, the questions, the easier the access points are for us to do conversation 
and not dive into the deep end of emotions because even like for me, I was the more emotional one. Mm -hmm. I still didn't know what I was feeling. Right. I just knew that it was emotion. So it had validity and was the most important thing in the whole world. Right. But I still didn't know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. So for, for us to begin with really simple dialogue mm -hmm. allowed us to find, for each couple to find their own rhythm, rhythms and learning how to ask questions that will open the other person up without trying to beat them over the head with emotions that they still can't define. You know, yeah. and I think that's so helpful. Like we said, to start with these just questions about your childhood that are not the deep, traumatic questions, but the simple, fun questions of what board game did you like to play when you were a kid? When you were a teenager, like, what did you like? How, what was your curfews like? What was your, like, what was this like? How was this? You know, and it's amazing how those rabbit hole into oh my God, yes, deeper things, and you every gonna, time, yeah, and how much they define. It's like, oh, well, that, now I understand why you do what you do. Right. And I, I guess, the, so start asking simple questions. Start to just get, I guess the key word for me always is just become curious about your spouse. Just become curious. If you keep curiosity at the center of your connection, you'll never be bored. Because this person is an infinite well of experience. So curiosity at the center of connection births tons and tons of conversations mm -hmm. you never thought you'd have. And then the other piece I would give, which I, I'm not usually as good at too, which is like, I'll like want to ask a question in the middle of you doing five other things. So it's like, you're like trying to go pick up the kids or meeting this. And I'm like, want to jive. I'm like, oh, I read this thing. Let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that is super unkind. So basically figuring out ways, because for us, we were probably even better at it when we were having these moments because we would take the nighttime to just do those, you know? Um, and I think yeah, when finding you have young that kids, time, you really need to schedule the, your time together. When right. can we have this type of right. deeper conversation? And it's not even, and the cool part is it can be date. That's like our date nights. What do we do on our date night? If you have young kids, you need a date night. You have this regularly scheduled date night. And part of it is like, I just, we don't, let's not talk about all the chaos in our current life. Let's actually dive into the stories of our, of our growing up, you know? Right. Which diffuses a lot. It, when you're talking about pre me knowing you, yeah, it's less, you know, we're talking about, oh yeah, when we were newly married, there's a lot of landmines there. Oh yeah. Oh. That was the time you blah, blah, blah. Right. And it can, it can flop a little easier. Yeah. So if we're having a hard time maintaining good conversation, we need to take it back to pre knowing each other. Right. Because there's not as many landmines there. It's easier yeah. to be curious about that your spouse in that season of their life because it doesn't affect. Well, yeah. And right. That's how we learn how the, oh my God, now it makes, oh, that's what happened to you when you were eating cereal every single morning when you were like at the breakfast table, this happened to you. No wonder you hate when I do this. Right. Oh, I get it now. Yeah. We didn't have to discuss what I'm doing that annoys you yesterday. We're making the connections by being curious about who the person was and the experiences they've had growing growing up, so that I can make the so we can allow the natural connections to be made as we're exploring. And wow, you want to open up a door to intimacy in your marriage. Yeah. Have your spouse identify something deeply true about who you are and name it. Yep. With oh, I understand you right. now. You feel this because of this. Yeah, or I'm, man, it, wow, I just want to point out, I'm so sorry because 
it must really hurt you when I say things like this. I, I didn't notice that before. Yeah. I'm really sorry. Because now the I'm sorry isn't connected to, oh, I hurt you right now. I want to make things better and I just mm-hmm. want it to be okay. It's I see you. I know you deeper. And I'm going to apologize for the thousand things we've never brought up. Mm-hmm. Because I see you now. Yeah. This part of you that I never saw before. Mm-hmm. And that is extremely healing. Yes, it is. So we'll leave you guys with that today. Uh, clearly, there was a few things. We'll leave some notes there down. Some tangents. Yeah, <laughs> we'll leave it. Uh, <laughs> we'll leave a, a few links for some stuff, some resources down in the description below. But we're glad you joined us. And we will see you guys next time on the Unbreakable podcast.